Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 8th of March, 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Neil Gordon, who takes his reading from Psalm 126, and brings us a message entitled, The Song of the Redeemed. Well, it is good to be with you again, and I want to thank you for your kind words of welcome. It's good to share the meeting with Henry too. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Henry had come to Shankill during his time at, uh, when he was at college, and I know we really appreciated his help there with the uh, evangelism team uh, around the area, around the doors, and the schools as well too, and just his fellowship as well. It's good to catch up with you again this morning. And as Henry says, yes, there's been uh, one further change since I was last with you. Um, proof that miracles do happen. Yes, Emma and I got engaged, and the miracle was that she said yes. Uh, it's been a busy time for us, uh, making wedding arrangements, but an exciting time, and we're looking forward to getting married, God willing, this year. So please do pray for us, uh, not only at Shankill, uh, but also for Emma, she works full-time with CEF as well. And I want to bring you greetings from the church at Shankill. It has been a busy time uh, for us at the moment. We're going into four schools at the moment with the work of the amazing journey over the coming months, and that just started last week there. And then we're looking forward this week to our first Unite to Pray uh, event as well with the Shankill Community Fellowship and the, the North Belfast Fellowship as well, which is situated in the, the former Andrum Road Church. So it's encouraging to hear how God is working there as well, and it's a good thing that we can meet together to pray. We've, we've met together as uh, those who are leading the work. We've met together for the last number of, of months at that, but this will be the first time of gathering all the churches together as well too. So we're looking forward to that, and do pray for us as we do seek to reach out in our areas. We also pray for you. We're turning this morning to a psalm, Psalm 126. Psalm 126. This is one of the songs of ascent. Psalm 126. And God's word says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Let's have a brief word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we do want to give you thanks for your word, for what it declares about you, for how even it points us to your son as well, but Father, even for what it reveals about ourselves too. And so, Father, may your word even speak afresh to us, even through the words of this song. May it be an encouragement, may it be a challenge, but Father, take of these words that were sung many, many years ago, but yet bring them to us fresh today, Lord, and may the power of your Holy Spirit even impress the lessons that we learn from them, Lord, even to our hearts. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You know, songs are a powerful thing. Some songs can move us to tears. Other songs can really lift our spirits and fill us with joy. But songs are powerful. Music is powerful. I love music. And as Emma will testify, there's some songs when I hear that I just can't help but sing along. And it's kind of an embarrassing habit to have, particularly when you're walking through the supermarket uh, as well too. Or if you ever do see me in the car, I'm probably not actually talking to myself or on the phone. I usually am probably singing along. But some songs can just lift us up and, and carry us away with them as well. And this is what's going on here. This is a song which initially takes God's people back to a particular time in their lives. It is part of a group of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. And that's the name given to a group of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These were hymns that were supposed to be sung by really the worshippers as they went to make their way to the temple. And the reason why they're called Songs of Ascent was because Jerusalem is set up on a hill, Mount Zion. So the worshippers, it's thought, would sing these hymns as they made their way there up to the temple. You know, and maybe some of them, even as they were pilgrims and maybe even traveling from further away to get to Jerusalem, had quite a journey. And never forget, whenever you look at the Psalms, this was also formed part of Israel's hymn book. They sung these because these songs served to prepare their hearts to, to worship God. And that's why the Songs of Ascent cover a range of topics. The journey to Jerusalem wasn't always easy. There could be dangers along the way, perhaps robbers even lying in wait to those pilgrims, which maybe would have been very vulnerable even traveling through some places. So for this reason, some of these songs of ascent, some of them are about songs about God's help, God's deliverance, about God's protection. There's other songs that were about the expectation of what it would be like to actually be in the temple to, to worship But we can learn lessons from these psalms ourselves as well. Because we in the Christian life are on a journey ourselves. It's very popular nowadays to talk about the journey. If ever you see any of those reality TV shows, usually the winner or whoever maybe has been in it for a number of months, they talk about, let's look at their journey, about their progress. But yet we are on a journey as well. Ours is not to the Jerusalem of old, but actually to a new and even better Jerusalem as well. We too are on a journey, and these songs, we in many ways can find parallels with their journey, even in ours. So what purpose does this psalm serve, and how does it speak to us today? Well, it does begin by reflecting on a memory, a memory that powerfully affected these people. It speaks of how the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. It begins on really just two headings this morning. Um, Verses 1 to 3 are songs of joyful remembrance. It begins with songs of joyful remembrance. What does the psalmist mean when he talks of restoring the fortunes? You know, when some people hear this word fortunes, they perhaps associate that with, with chance. But the Christian knows that things don't happen by chance. We believe God is sovereign over all things. No, the word translated fortune here is, it's, it's really talking about, it's referring even to someone's way of life. It's closely linked actually with that word restored. The two words are actually related. 
And one writer has paraphrased it as this. When the Lord has restored us to a restored situation. You know, many have tried to guess what's this particular deliverance? What's this restoration in the past they were looking to? Many people, including even some translators, see it as referring to the captivity of Israel. The captivity of Israel. Let me remind you what had happened. God had allowed his people to be taken into captivity for a period of 70 years. The Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. The city had been completely ransacked. And what had happened, the silver and gold had been taken out of the temple, had been taken away. Even the very walls of the city had been taken down, leaving the city quite vulnerable even to attack. And God had allowed this to happen because of the sin of the people. But yet God had a greater purpose even through that. God was going to use that very means of carrying them away into captivity to be the means of actually humbling those people. And we see that God is still merciful to his people. And through the words of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, he promised restoration to them. Listen to these words of Jeremiah. I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 14 here. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in the exile. But you know, God's people had waited a long time for that promise to happen. They'd waited those 70 years, and and some during that time we know were maybe even growing a, a little bit discouraged, but the lesson we see time and time again is that God is one who is faithful. God is one who keeps his promises. And he did. He used even a, a Persian king called Cyrus to defeat the Babylonians. And that same king, Cyrus, was going to issue a decree to allow the Lord's people to return. And there were several returns. There was actually three of them. And you can read about them in the books of Haggai, Ezra, and Nehemiah to see the background even to this psalm. When it finally happened, look how the people felt in verse 1. And this song, as I say, was sung by people and it wanted to remind them of of this time. Remember of that happy time when you returned to that land. At the end of verse 1 it says, we were like those who dreamed. They couldn't believe it was finally happening. They were consumed with joy. Whenever they saw themselves back in Jerusalem, they were filled with joy. Their captivity was over. The Lord had kept his promises and he brought them back just as he said. And this wasn't a, a, a short-lived thing. There was a, it wasn't just a short laugh. Or a, uh, that, you know, what verse 2 says, their mouth was filled with laughter. They were filled with laughter. They were literally bubbling over with joy. So joyful, they wanted to even shout it from the rooftops. You know, to the Israelite, well, you know, this city, Jerusalem, held such a special place in their hearts. It was known as the city of God. And then what had been led to ruin, that broke their hearts as well too. So the moment when they came back to that land was, was finally here. It was a work of restoration. It was a work of deliverance. But you know, we also know each of us, if we're believers here today, of a work of deliverance. When someone trusts in Christ, they also experience a, greater, a great work of deliverance. The Lord brings us from a domain of once in darkness and sin to be citizens of a, a new kingdom, a kingdom even of light. 
God is the one who has power to not only forgive and to cleanse us from our sins, but he's the one who even makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. He not only begins that work within our hearts, but continues us, continues it as well. And here's the thing, transformed lives can speak loudly even to the world around us. The world can see, for those who are believers, that we're not as we were before. We now have new attitudes, new values. We love the Lord. We love the Lord's people. We want to even grow in our walk with God. And here's the thing. People can see when a genuine work of deliverance has taken place in someone's life. But the same thing happens in this psalm as well at the end of verse 2. It says the nations also saw this. They saw this happening as well. People who weren't Jews, the nations around them. And they said the Lord has done great things for them. You know, we sometimes maybe don't think of that, do we? About maybe the testimony of our lives. How others actually do look at our lives. Maybe even sometimes people you might not even realize. Maybe in the workplace. In the university, in the school, in the home, or even the, even the neighborhood where you live in. You know, many people in the world today don't read a Bible. Many people still don't even maybe have a Bible even as well. But yet they read us, if we're believers here today. They read us and they see if our faith is real. They see even how we respond to different circumstances, even in our own personal lives as well. Your neighbors see you every week, even as you get up and go to, out to church. They see that. They see even of how you react even to things around you. And they can, people can quickly tell whether someone is, is real or not. Whether they truly mean what they say. Does their lives declare it? And here's the thing, the children of Israel, they looked at their lives and they saw the Lord's done this great work for them and they were, they were glad. The Lord had done actually this. The Lord has done great th- things for them. And when the Lord's people, they seen this as well. They recognized this was a work of God's hands. And they said, we're glad. We're glad, Pat. But I want you to notice in verses 4 to 6, this psalm takes a turn. Because the songs of joyful remembrance actually turn into a prayer. And what is this prayer about? It's prayers for present revival. Verses 4 to 6, prayers for present revival. So in the first part they had remembered and they'd sung joyfully about what God had done for them in the past. But now in the present they were praying that God would revive them. You see, here's the thing. When the Israelites settled back into the land... As time went on, they very quickly found that things perhaps were maybe not just so smooth sailing as they thought. While initially they were singing songs and rejoicing, they began to settle back in and rebuild to make a home for themselves. And you know what? They began to realize that work of restoration and that work of rebuilding wasn't actually always so easy. As you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophecy of Haggai, what you find is they faced opposition. Even the neighboring nations who had settled around Jerusalem began to oppose them, began to even try and hinder them in their work. And they saw these Jews as a threat to their stability as well too. And God's people had grown discouraged over time. 
People like Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai reminded them of their great need to continue to trust and depend on God. See, that's what we need today. Not just to always be looking back to the blessings of the past, but to continue to depend on God in the present. Look at the prayer they utter in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. It's, it's like the start of verse 1, isn't it, again? What were they praying for? They were praying for restoration. I've sneaked in another heading under this one. There's one more to come, just to warn you. But they were praying for restoration. The memory of the joy they first had when they entered the land, here's why it was important. Because it was going to encourage them in the present. The memory of what God had done in the past encouraged them in the present. Firstly, consider what they didn't do. They could have remembered their past joy after returning. And then he could have simply grown despondent and discouraged by how things were in the present. We know in the book of Haggai, it tells us of how what happened was the people actually came back. And even when the temple began to be rebuilt, the people got downhearted and they thought, you know, this temple is not like the, the last one was. It's smaller. It's maybe not as impressive looking. And they thought to themselves, it caused them to grow downhearted. Maybe some thought back to the, even the glory days as well. Maybe some even thought back to the time, even in captivity, and said, do you know what? I wonder if we may be better off there. But you know, sometimes people can do that in a, a church setting too, can't they? You know, many of the churches in Belfast, as I'm sure you well know, can, can look back 30 to 40 years or more and they can remember the days when the church was filled to capacity. Those were days when you could hold an evangelistic campaign and many would flock into it. But nowadays, we don't often see hundreds coming in. It's sometimes often the ones and the twos. But don't despise the day of small things. You know, I've heard in the past how even in our Sunday school they used to talk about how when it came to the, the trip, the minibus outing, whenever it came, came time for the outing, how they needed several minibuses and actual buses as well to take the children. Whereas now we have 30 to 40 children. But you know what? Praise God for the 30 to 40 that we do have. Praise God for those who we do have. Praise God for those children that you have in your assembly. Don't be looking and saying, oh, remember how it was then, but give thanks for what we have even now. Give thanks for what you have now. If people are coming in, praise God for the ones and twos. Who knows that those ones and twos, should they actually come to Christ? Maybe those ones and twos might be the means of maybe winning many more ones and twos. Maybe even threes or fours, maybe even more as well too. And who knows where that would spread. Don't despise even the day of small things. Praise God even for those who you do have. You know, it's important that we look back to the past. That is important. But it's also important that you not live in it as well either. Because here's the thing. They recalled God's goodness in the past and they thought of this deliverance they experienced. 
And here was really their prayer in essence. If you ask what's my paraphrase of verse 4, here's it. Where they talk about, you know, restore our fortunes. Really they were praying, Lord, you restored us in the past. Lord, do it again. That was their prayer. Lord, do it again. You know, Spurgeon remarks at this verse, nothing strengthens faith more effectually than the memory of a previous experience. Nothing strengthens faith more effectually than the memory of a previous experience. Their faith was stirred by that memory. And that faith encouraged them to have boldness, even in their prayer. They said, Lord, restore us as the streams in the Negev. That was a dry area in the south, an area with great valleys and gullies. It was a barren desert. But here's the thing, during the winter months, whenever it rained, it was said that the water used to flow down these valleys with great force. And the psalmist is using these image, this image to speak of God's transforming power. They believed God is the one who can transform the dry and barren land. And so they're praying, Lord, restore us even again. You know, maybe you can identify with the experience of these people. Perhaps even in your own spiritual life. Perhaps you remember a time when you first came to Christ. A time when you delighted in reading God's word and hearing it preached. A time when you were eager to tell others of your faith and eager to bring as many as you could. Whereas maybe now you maybe seldom speak to anyone of the Lord. Perhaps through some discouragement. Perhaps maybe even some unexpected circumstance that's come into your life and caused you to, to lose heart. Maybe a bereavement. Maybe an illness. Or maybe even perhaps someone that's done wrong against you. Has affected even maybe you in your spiritual life today. And that's maybe robbed you of your joy. Perhaps your, your Bible reading even in your prayer life has grown cold. But how can we have that joy restored? When we pray to the Lord, when we continue to turn to him, to ask him to do that work of restoration and revival, even within our hearts today. The Lord is the one who can transform the dry and barren and make them even fruitful once more. The one who delivered you before from the grip of Satan's power can even restore you to that joy, even that you once felt again. The one who first gave you that joy hasn't changed. God can do that mighty work. The people here pray, Lord, restore us. Restore us. You, the, the psalm is, has, it paints a great reality of their present circumstance. They longed for that restoration. They were crying out for that. They were maybe saying, Lord, things aren't the way it should be. They, they were struggling with what they were seeing. But they looked back to the past and they were encouraged by it. And they were saying, Lord, do that same work in our hearts again. And what else do we see? is another quality necessary in your prayers. They're praying for restoration. There's something else they pray for. Faith. They pray about their faith. We see that faith evidenced in their prayer, verse 5 and 6. It continues on with an agricultural image. And he considers the farmer, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. You might wonder, why would the people sow in tears? You know, in this country, we're... Blessed with plenty of rain. I know we don't always consider rain a blessing, do we? Sometimes we may consider sometimes rain the opposite. But rain is needful. We need rain for the crops even to grow. But can you imagine in Israel where there's not so much rain? Where sowing was an anxious time for them? 
Would they get enough rain for their crops to grow? What about the possibility of crop failure, even through pestilence or disease? They didn't have all the different sprays, insect sprays that we do today. We're often dependent on modern day technology to help our plants and crops grow. But the ancient farmer needed to trust in God. So do we today to continue to trust in God. It's not just about our past faith, but it's about our faith in the present as well. You know, we often hear this image of sowing the seed related to God's word as we evangelize. And it can be difficult whenever we seek to reach out with the gospel. I'm sure we know this in Shankill, and I'm sure you know it here as well too. Sometimes it can feel like you're putting a, a lot of work in and yet, yet you're getting nowhere fast. Perhaps that seed sometimes even that you've sown, it seems so quickly to be snatched away. Being choking it with the curse or the concerns of this world or Satan even bringing other things to distract and lead people astray. But that doesn't mean we should ever give up sowing. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We sow bountifully, but you look to the Lord to give the growth. You know, some instances, we see this in Shankill, where there's a, an abundance of churches within such a, a small space. I forget what the actual statistics are, how many churches there actually are in a two-mile radius. But it's unbelievable. Because literally, whichever way you turn, you're at a church. Probably within about a minute, I could be at our next nearest church as well too. And that's, you know, you know, lots of churches have the same. 15, 20 or more in our area. And there's definitely more than that actually, but just in our smaller radius. And you know, sometimes we're doing the sowing. Sometimes maybe even others are doing the reaping and harvesting. Should we get downhearted about that? Actually, no, we shouldn't. We should be praising God that we've had played a part in that work. We sowed that seed. That young person maybe now has got saved and is now going along to another fellowship. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But also I think sometimes when we sow the seed, I think we can get a little bit impatient waiting for it to grow. In Spurgeon's autobiography, what happened was he sowed uh, seed, I think it was cress or something he sowed, and, and yet he, he was waiting. It took him time, actually, as he went out to see it. To, he was waiting for that seed to grow, and he wondered, why is it not happening? He went out every day. He went out a, a couple of times in one day. He went out the next day. Still, there was nothing. We forget the seed takes a while to grow. And the same thing is true. We've seen people come back to the Lord. We've seen souls saved. But there was one instance last year, and it was... It was a gap of about five or six years. This person had been coming out. We prayed for them faithfully. For others, it might be people who have come along for even 10, 20 years. But yet James tells us, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until it receives the early and latter rain. Sowing the seed isn't easy. You will face discouragements. Sometimes it will seem like you're getting nowhere fast and you'll feel like giving up, but don't. Let me share with you the story, and I read this a few weeks ago, of a medical missionary called Dr. William Leslie. William Leslie went to minister. He was part of a Baptist, uh, American Baptist missions. 
And he went to minister to the tribal people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where he served for 17 years. But he returned back to America a discouraged and broken man because he thought that he'd failed to make an impact. He actually died nine years after his return. And in 2010, a team returned back to that same area. And what they found in the area where William Leslie had ministered was actually a network of churches. A network of growing churches near the area where William Leslie had been stationed. And the man, the missionary who came back to that area, went round those different churches with the help of a missionary pilot from Math. And they found a series of churches. And it said that each of the villages had their own gospel choir. Even though they wouldn't have really used that name. But really that's what they had. Gospel choirs even writing their own worship songs. They found churches in each of the eight villages across the stretch of 34 miles. One church even got so crowded in the 1980s they had to plant a church somewhere else. And after chatting with these people how they were established. They began to describe William Leslie and his work. They said of this man, his goal was to spread Christianity and he felt like it was there for 17 years and he never made a big impact. But yet, the legacy he left was huge. The legacy he left was huge. You see, the seed grows even though we don't really realize it at times. Sometimes I see this actually when I take funerals even as well. Where I meet people and maybe actually... They've come to the Lord as a result of even seeing the work that God has done in that person's life. And maybe the rest of the family never even knew it. Stories like that have come out as well too. The seed can take some time to grow. Let us be encouraged by that. But you know, here's the thing. This passage also isn't just about, it's not about really evangelism. Actually, the original setting wasn't. But it is about a restoration because the children of Israel also struggled physically, emotionally, spiritually, even in their everyday lives. You see, it's not just backbreaking work sowing the seed of the gospel. But even sometimes as we walk with the Lord, sometimes it can be difficult. The task of rebuilding for them, the, the upheaval, the discouragement of opposition made them feel like giving up. They maybe thought to themselves, you know, I didn't think it would be as difficult as this. But yet remembering the one who brought them there would be the one that would sustain them and strengthen them in the present. Their memory of God's past blessing was the one that they needed to cling to each day. Look at the powerful reminder we're given in verse 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come back with shouts of joy, bringing even in the, the very sheaves with him as well. Not just bringing scraps, but bringing sheaves. You know, we live in a day where there's a great abundance of supplies, don't we? And we forget that the ancient Israelite had to literally lose their seed in order that they could gain. They essentially had to put all that they had into the soil. And they had to pray for that increase. They were uncertain of the outcome, but they had to trust God for that. If the harvest wasn't as big as they hoped, they might not have enough to sow. They might suffer the financial loss. And so the farmer has to, to give it away, to give all that they have in order to gain. But what a good analogy for the Christian life. Because the way to true blessing is if we are willing to give our all over to the Lord, our time, our talents, 
And if we do that, if we yield ourselves to the Lord and give ourselves to him, he'll bless us for it. Remember those words of that great missionary, Jim Elliot? He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain, uh, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man who is willing to give of his very all, even of his very life, in order that he may gain. You know, though times, there are times in our life where we may weep as we serve, facing rejection, disappointment, even trials, times where we maybe feel weary, times where you wonder, is the labor in vain? But it's not. Because one day there will be a great harvest. Though we shed tears, one day we know that even what may seem like a difficult circumstance even here and now will one day seem like a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. You know, tomorrow morning I'm going to be conducting a service, a funeral service for one of our members, a man aged 95, a man who went through bereavement, ill health, but he kept trusting in God and depending on him each day. That man was waiting for that moment. He actually talked of it. He longed of it. He looked to the Lord each day. He knew the Lord had done his work in his life in the past. And he knew there was better yet to come. And now today he's with his Savior, which is far better. There's an old hymn that we used to sing and it reminds us of this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. There are times in the Christian life where it may be hard. Times where we may grow downhearted. Times where we may even shed tears. But let's remind ourselves that we can press on in faith. Because though we may cry, these tears will not be there forever. In this life, we walk with eyes of faith. Looking upward, looking forward. Knowing that God is faithful to his promises. And as we close, this is something God's people could testify through the ages. It's something even that we can continue to testify to today. And the psalm speaks of a joy remembered. But it's because of the memory of God's saving grace that reminds us of our continued need to depend on him. Paul writes, He who sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit and will reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Are we yielding to God? Are we saying, Lord, use my witness among my family, among my neighborhood, Use maybe even my words to bless and encourage others, even in the church. Let us not give up, but let us keep pressing on. And an important part of pressing on is being thankful. Thankful for what God has done for us, both personally and even collectively as a church. And in closing, we're going to, in closing in the first part of the service here, we're, we're going to sing a hymn just very shortly. I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to sing this hymn together. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Our encouragement of looking back and giving thanks in the past encourages us in the present. May it do that even today for you. Let's, let's pray together, and then we'll sing.
Heavenly Father, we do want to give you thanks for the word, your word, your, even the experiences and the song that's been recorded for us in this beautiful psalm. May the experience of the children of Israel maybe even speak to us here today. May it encourage us to know that, Lord, that you are the one who has done this work in our lives. But, Father, you're not finished with us. You're one who can continue to do that transforming work even in our lives. And so, Father, encourage us from your word. Father, for those maybe who have even grown cold, Lord, restore even their hearts today. Restore unto them the joy of their salvation. And Father, help us to give thanks. As we look to Christ, as we even sing the words of this hymn, help us to be encouraged of what a wonderful Savior even is Jesus our Lord. And help us to be looking upward to realize that there will be a day that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Help us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this hymn.